Tonight, we do begin our new sermon series, and if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 8. So I'm talking about amen. That's right. That's pretty good, but here at DeView, we get excited about God's Word. Whenever we open up to God's Word, we get excited about it. Let's do it one more time. We're a little rusty because Christmas break, but it's all right. I ain't mad at you. I'm a little rusty, too. I got to shake up the cobwebs. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to John chapter 8. That's right. That's what I'm talking about. We get excited about God's Word. It's God's Word that changes Lives. Now, if you're taking notes tonight, and I hope that you are, I just have a few things I want you to walk away with tonight. But if you're taking notes, at the top of your notes, I want to give you the title. You're not going to be shocked by it. It's not going to blow you away. It's nothing crazy. Here it is. It's straight from Scripture. Here's the title of tonight's message. I am the light of the world. <clears throat> I am the light of the world. The world. I was praying about how in the world to introduce a sermon series on light versus darkness, and in about two minutes, the Lord took my mind to what I would say is one of the most embarrassing moments in my life. Have you ever had a moment where you just were embarrassed to be you? This has been, I tell you, this is a true story. My dad will affirm it. It's one of the most embarrassing moments in my life. You'll know where I'm going as soon as I begin the story. So it's nothing to, to there's no crazy turns here. You'll understand it. But when I was in the eighth grade, I went home. I told my dad, I said, dad, I'm going bike riding. He said, that's cool. You need to get in shape. I said, huh? <laughs> I said, dad, I'm going, uh, I'm going bike riding. He's like, cool. I was like, but I want to go at 10 PM. <laughs> my dad being the wise man, he is gave me wise counsel. <laughs> he says, son, it's dangerous riding at night. It's dangerous riding in the dark. That's what I told my dad. I said, dad, I know these neighborhoods so well, I'm fine. <laughs> Arrogance. <laughs> he says, all right, go ahead. You can ride off into the dark. I'll go ahead and tell you this story does not end well, but it has a great application. <laughs> so, man, I go out. I'm getting my bicycle ready. I've, I've got, like, you know, all my, remember the little things, you, the pegs? <laughs> you should be so cool. Y'all too young. Y'all don't even know about bicycles. Y'all got TikTok now. Man, they used to have bikes. We ride around the neighborhood back in the day and pegs where you could have somebody on the back. <laughs> Riding with you, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. That's right, amen. It was, you was cool if you had pegs, man. So I walked outside, made sure my pegs were tight even though nobody was riding with me. <laughs> There's Sam in that laugh again. <laughs> I get on the bike, man, and my dad's like, Dan, you sure you don't want to put a flashlight on that joker? My dad, I'm fine. I was like, I'm not going to ride around the, the neighborhood with a flashlight taped to my steering wheel of this bicycle. I look like a loser. <laughs> And so my dad goes, all right. And so I ride, out, I ride down the driveway. Of course, you know where this story is going. I mean, it ain't crazy, but I, I'm, I'm driving to the neighborhood. For the first five minutes, it feels pretty good. And honestly, as an eighth grader, I felt like a bad boy. <laughs> I rode past one house. There's some girls outside. I was like, oh, what's up, ladies? <laughs> no flashlight. <laughs> no helmet either. <laughs> They're shaking their heads at me. I'm riding five minutes in. Come up on Hulan Street. You want to know accuracy? I can tell you the street. Hulan Street. It's got a big hill. You know the neighborhood. <laughs> I start going down the hill. That's right. He can tell you. It's a true story. I start going down the hill. And up ahead, I start noticing something. My eyes start adjusting. I see something in the dark. And I'm like, I can't tell what it is, but I can see it's something. And as I get a little bit closer, I realize, oh, that's a parked car. <laughs> and I get a little bit closer. I realize, oh, that's a black parked car. <laughs> And so I'm like 10 feet out of it, so I do what anybody would do. I froze. <laughs> I blanked. <laughs> I didn't think of any safety measures. I didn't turn the wheel. I just kept going like it was going to disappear. <laughs> well, it's going to have to get out of my way. <laughs> I told you, spoiler alert, I smacked the hood of this car so hard, 
my face smacked on the hood of this car, and I'm just laying there. What's worse is, this is true, I had my earbuds in, and the music didn't stop. <laughs> so I'm laying on the hood of the car forever by Chris Brown still playing. <laughs> forever, ever, and I'm just laying there on the hood of the car. It's a true story, I'm telling you. I smacked it, felt embarrassed, hurt my jaw. Nothing serious. I go home, I tell my dad what happens. And this is what he said. He didn't realize the significance of this statement. I didn't either. Years later, I realized how powerful this statement was as I was thinking about it. This is what my dad said. Not pulling any punches, nothing crazy, but here it is. It's so simple. He says, buddy, see, he always started with buddy. He said, buddy, no matter how confident you feel, you can't navigate in the dark without a light. I'm like, okay, dad. (laughs) And so people have asked me, why do a series about light versus darkness? Why do this series? And you may be asking me, Daniel, why should I care about this series? I'll tell you very clearly. It's this. Our world is stuck in darkness, much darker than any neighborhood at night that you ride a bicycle through. Our world is stuck in darkness. In fact, we are stuck in sin. We have a problem. And far too often, you and me have a false confidence that we can navigate the darkness of this world without the light. And we have college students who are actively living in the dark. And I know that you're writing some of these now. We have college students that are actively living in the dark, trying to navigate their way through the darkest issues, but they don't have the light of the world. They're not walking with the light of the world. And what happens is you end up like me in that neighborhood. You end up embarrassed, sprung out on the hood of a car, hurt, in pain. And so in this series, I want you to understand very quickly, you can't navigate yourself out of anxiety. Anxiety is a darkness, it is a struggle, it is a stronghold, and you cannot work your way out of that without the power of Jesus Christ. Whatever sin, whatever drug addiction, whatever depression, which Sam Johnson said it best, 18 to 23-year-olds are the loneliest generation in America, you can't navigate your way out of the darkness of depression and loneliness without the light of the world. What you're doing when you try to solve these dark issues of our world on your own, whether you're a believer or not, when you try to do it on your own without supernatural help, Without prayer, without Bible reading, you're riding in the dark, and that's a dangerous, dangerous game. I wrote two things down. Spiritual strongholds require spiritual weapons. Spiritual strongholds require spiritual weapons. As we look at John chapter 8, you have to understand, we're going to find a woman who's in darkness. We're going to find Pharisees who are in darkness. Their lives are consumed with darkness, and they need Jesus. But even more than that, you Need the light of Christ. I have two prayers for this series. One is that many of you in this room would come out of darkness from the standpoint of your salvation, that there are many of you in this room, and I don't want to sound harsh, it's just true, it's just honest. In a room this big on a January night, there are bound to be people in here who are living in darkness to the standpoint that they don't know Jesus as their Savior. I was there. I did not give my life until 20, my life to Jesus until I was 21 years old, almost 22 almost towards the end of college. And I lived in darkness and I lived in sin for a very, very long time. And many of you are there tonight. I don't know who you are. I'm not gonna try to bait you into some emotional decision. Emotions are involved, but it's not about that. But what I know is that some of you, in your core, know that you don't really know Jesus as your savior. He has not become the light of your world yet. That's one prayer. The second prayer is this. The many of you believers who do have the light of the world in you, would stop living and acting like you still belong to the dark. There are so many believers in this world who claim the title of Christian but are still living like they belong to the darkness. You do not. I want you to come out of that. 
Uh, my prayer is for you to come out of that. So let's look at John chapter 8. As we pray that the view would be a place of hope, a place of life, a place that exalts Jesus Christ. In John chapter 8, we find Jesus at the Feast of Tabernacles. But not only that, I want to tell you about John 6 and 7 for a moment. Now from John 6, 7, and 8, there are some huge parallels to the Old Testament. I mean, it's really fascinating when you take a minute to look at it. In John chapter 6, you see Jesus feed the 5,000. Many of us in here are familiar with that. Some of us have heard that our entire lives. Some of us don't know that account, and that's okay. When I was 21, the only part of the Bible I knew was Daniel and the lion's den. Because it was my name. So I had to know that one. But it doesn't matter what you know tonight. You have Jesus. He feeds the 5,000 in John chapter 6. Now, John chapter 6 is a parallel back to Exodus when, and we're going to actually look at those verses, when God provided manna for Israel in the wilderness. So in John chapter 6, one of the very first chapters, it shows Jesus fulfilled, watch this, that he is the bread of life, that he is the one who provides all that we need. So the first one in John chapter 6 is bread. But then, are you familiar with John chapter 7? Because John chapter 7 is crazy. I preached on it in here last year. What's crazy is you come to this moment where they have not had water For six months, they're dying, they're thirsty, and Jesus stands up and breaks the silence at the end of the feast. And he says, hey, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and I will give him living water. Connor, that's an outrageous statement. That's an outrageous statement to say that you have living water, water that never ends, water that provides salvation and life for the soul. Jesus says that in John chapter 7. Now, what's so cool is that's an amazing statement by Jesus, and it's absolutely true, but it's also a fulfillment of the Old Testament when God provided water to Israel. Food, water, Jesus fulfills both. And then we come to John chapter 8. When God was leading Israel in the Old Testament out of slavery, he led them by a pillar of cloud by day, and what? A pillar of fire by night. So when Jesus says triumphantly, I am the light of the world, it's the third fulfillment of not just bread, not just water, but light. Light for all humanity. And in fact, we're going to look at many passages in the Bible that talk about light. So let me give you this, and then we're going to read John 8. My sermon in a sentence tonight is, The darkness drains the life out of you, but the light of Christ gives life to you. Which are you living for? The darkness drains the life out of you, but the light of Christ gives life to you. Which are you living for? And if you will, look with me, starting in John chapter 8, verse 2. I'll give you a moment to write that. The darkness drains the life out of you, But the light of Christ gives life to you, which are you living for? So many of you taking notes tonight. I appreciate that. I hope that this is not just something that encourages you on Monday night, but carries with you throughout the week as well. John 8, verse 2. At dawn, he, Jesus, went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them, as was their custom during this day. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They don't bring the man, they just bring the woman. They asked him this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. Jesus stooped down, this is incredible, and started writing on the ground with his finger. We don't know what he wrote. Many theologians have speculated, but we don't know. 
He writes on the ground with his finger. Verse seven, when they persisted in questioning him, they're not giving up. You ever had somebody nag you? You ever had somebody pulling at you, start asking you over and over, persistent, persistent, persistent. Like, hey, what you gonna do? What you gonna do about this? What you gonna do about this? They think they have him trapped. They persisted in questioning him. He stood up and said to them, look at this. The one, you know this verse right here is popular. The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. It's incredible. The one, he's like, all right, okay. Whoever doesn't have sin, go ahead. And goes back to writing. Verse eight, he stooped down and continued writing on the ground. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, he asked a question he already knows the answer to, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? <laughs> no one, Lord, she answered Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Verse 12, it's directly after this passage that we get this statement. Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. I want to, would you say that with me? Are you ready? Here we go. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never Walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's pray. Father, we love you. <clears throat> and Lord, we thank you so much for allowing us to gather here tonight. God, we pray that your word would strike our hearts in a way that produces repentance, joy, gratitude. Father, I pray for anyone in here who doesn't know you as their savior, that they would give their lives to you tonight. And Lord, I know that many people in here walked in this room struggling with sin, struggling with darkness, struggling with feeling like they have no way out. Father, I pray that tonight they would turn towards your light and stop hiding in the darkness. Father, I pray that we would realize that there is safety, that there is comfort, and that there is freedom when we come to you. Not religious, not religion, not a building, but when we come to the feet of Jesus, we find salvation and we find freedom. So Father, I pray that you would speak tonight. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Number one, if you're taking notes tonight, is this. The light shines at your lowest. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Aren't you thankful for it? The light shines at your lowest. Now I wanna take a trip through the Bible for a moment about light and darkness, because this is not something new. When John records Jesus saying this, this is not something new. In fact, I want to argue the entire Bible leads up to Jesus being the light of the world, because him being the light of the world is a major statement. That means that Jesus Christ is not just a great rabbi or an interesting philosopher. No, it means that Jesus is, quite frankly, the Son of God, that he is divine, that he is completely the Messiah, the Savior of the world, no question. In order to be the light of the world, he has to be sinless. So this right here is a major claim, a major claim. In fact, all the scripture has been leading to it. Look at this, if you will. Genesis chapter one, verse three and four says this. It says, God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was what? Good. And God separated the light from the darkness. All the way back to the third verse in Genesis chapter 1, God began showing the difference and the contrast between the light and the darkness. Has anybody in this room ever felt like their life is just sitting in the middle of darkness? 
Have you ever been there? Let's be real. Can we, can we be real in this place and admit that many times in our lives we feel like we are living in the middle of darkness and we have no idea how to get to the light? Anybody else been there? I've been there. I've been there. Many a times I felt hopeless. In fact, the world will push hopelessness on you, but I want to tell you, the Bible speaks far more about the light than it does the darkness. But when you follow our world and you follow the news and you follow social media, you're going to hear a lot more about the darkness than you're ever going to hear about the light of the world. In fact, the most, most of you, the most times most of you hear the name of Jesus is when somebody takes it in vain. Since Genesis 1, but not only that, Exodus 13, here's what we referenced earlier. It says this in verse 21 and 22, if you'll look with me. <coughs> Excuse me. The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day. And in a pillar of fire to give them light at night. So that they could travel day or night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. If that isn't good enough for you, I'll give you Psalm 78 verse 14. It says this, he, God, led them with a cloud by day and with a fiery light throughout the night. But not only that, throughout the Bible, light is also not just for guiding. We know that it says your word is a lamp to my feet, but it also represents salvation. It also represents hope. And I'll give you right here, Psalm 27, verse 1, it says this, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? We can keep this on the screen for a moment. It's almost to say, if I am walking with the light of the world, what is there in the darkness to be afraid of? John Knight said it in the beginning of the video, who just got saved in June and baptized and is now a leader for us serving. John Knight said it best. Where's John Knight? Where's John Knight at? He don't even want to say, my guy right there. He said it. I used to be afraid of the dark, but what? Not anymore. Why? Because John knows who the light of the world is. Do you know who the light of the world is? Or are you still afraid of the dark? Are you still afraid of this world? Are you still living in chains and bondage to your sin, to depression, to anxiety, to loneliness? I don't know what it is for you, and I can't pretend to know, but I know darkness, and I know sin, and I know struggles. But when you have the light of the Lord, there is salvation, and there is nothing that we should fear. Not only that, I'll give you, John expands even deeper on this in John chapter 1. You know it. You love it. I do too. It says this, John 1, verse 3, all things were created through him, meaning Jesus. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. Look at this. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. I love that it makes clear that John's testifying about the light, but he is not the light of the world. He is not the savior of the world. He reflects the light of the world. He lives for Jesus, but he's speaking to somebody that's far greater than him. Who are you speaking about in your life? Drake? I don't know why I threw Drake out there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so when Jesus says he is the light of the world, there's something else to notice in John 8, 12. He says, those who follow me will never walk in darkness. I don't know if you write in your Bibles, but if you do underline never, because he says never Walk in darkness. Now, this pulls the curtain back and allows us to see a characteristic about Jesus. It shows us this, that he is a permanent light. 
Hear me out for a moment that Jesus shines permanently. Jesus does not shine partially. I want you to understand, Jesus does not shine part-time. He is a full-time light. There's no turning him off and on. He is fully and always shining 24-7. His light is not dependent on you. He shines regardless. His light is not dependent on this world. The sun may set every 14 hours in our world, but I want you to understand something. The Son of God's light never sets. He constantly and permanently shines. And I think about what Peyton Wright said in this video when she referenced Matthew 5 and said Jesus also commissions us to be the light of the world. I want you to understand something. If Jesus operates as a full-time light, he's not calling part-time disciples to shine partially. He's calling believers to shine full-time. Not partially, not in environments where we're culturally safe because let's admit it, there's a lot of danger when you go out there and start claiming the name of Jesus. Is there not? I just got rejected today at University of Memphis. I'm the pastor. <laughs> what kind of nerve you have to have to shut down the pastor? I'm just offering you some donuts. <laughs> I'm walking up like, hey, man, you want some coffee? Like, yeah. They're like looking at me and stuff. But it's part of it. When you represent the name of Jesus, you're going to get rejected. So is your light, I'm speaking to believers, is your light dependent on how people respond to your light? It's not in my notes. Feels good to be back. <laughs> is your light dependent on how people respond to your light? Because if your light, if, here's what I'm saying, if you living for Jesus is dependent on how people respond to that, you're probably not going to be living for Jesus for very long. <laughs> it's a tough, tough thing. But when your light, when you living for Jesus is dependent on Jesus, that's how your light never goes out. That's how you don't walk in darkness because Jesus never goes out. He's permanent. He always shines. No matter how dark this world gets, it does not overcome the light of the world. In fact, I want to put that verse on the screen that I referenced. It's Matthew 5, 14. Peyton said it better than I could. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, when we look at John 8, I think about this woman who's caught in adultery. Now, adultery in our world, let's think about this for a moment. Culturally, it's kind of a big deal. Like to the world. In the church, it's a big deal. In the world, it's kind of a big deal. It depends on your environment. You see TV shows and Netflix and movies that popularize cheating. I mean, you watch Grey's Anatomy. Every single season that you watch is all about adultery. It's just normal. I'm not hating on Grey's Anatomy. Whatever, whatever you feel, that's fine. But call out Drake and Grey's Anatomy. Somebody's like, I hate this place, man. <laughs> Illegalist. No. Every show you watch includes adultery and cheating and kind of manipulation. Like it's, it's almost, I don't want to go too far here, but it's almost celebrated culturally to have something on the side. And it's kind of celebrated culturally. Adultery in the Bible is sin. And it reflects a whole lot more than you cheating on another person because what we looked at last semester, remember, is that idolatry, when we put things above God, that is adultery as a believer because we're cheating on God with other false gods. So adultery is a big deal. Now imagine this woman for a moment who's caught in adultery and she's dragged into the middle of the street, PJ. She's dragged into the middle of the street. Do you think this was one of the worst moments of her life? I, I, I don't want to speculate what's not there. I don't know what all she went through, but it's got to, I don't know if it's rock bottom, but it's got to be close. Have you ever been accused? Have you ever had your sin that was private displayed publicly for all to see in front of who might be the Messiah. 
Can you imagine how this woman may feel? I wrote some notes on this. She's dragged into the street by a bunch of religious leaders and her private sins are thrown out into the open in front of the possible Messiah. This has got to be close to rock bottom in her life. I wanna ask you a question. When was a time in your life that you hit rock bottom? Can you remember the shame? Some of you, man, might be like, Daniel, I'm rock bottom right now. That's why I'm here. I'm looking for hope. You found it. Can you remember the embarrassment? Just for a moment, put yourself in the woman's shoes. Her world celebrates success, and right now she has failed. And she is embarrassed, and she is shameful, and she is guilty. And she is standing out here. She has nothing to say for herself. And in this moment, Jesus stands up for her. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? You being the one publicly embarrassed over your sin, and Jesus stands up for you. It's crazy, and all he does is say this. He says, okay, he who is without sin, go ahead and throw a stone. And none of them can do it. In fact, the only one that could would be Jesus because he doesn't have any sin. But of course, he doesn't throw a stone. He shows grace and mercy. Isn't that fascinating? I want to read it, verse 10 and 11. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord. She answered, neither do I condemn you, Jesus said. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Watch this. Jesus showed her grace before he told her to act right. I love this quote of commentary on it. It says this. Jesus demonstrated grace and mercy to the woman, removing her condemnation. I want to know if you've ever thought about this text this way, because it's amazing. Before he told her to start living right, a true understanding of grace and mercy does not endorse or promote sin. Of course not. Rather, it's designed to produce gratitude and holiness. We do not obey God in order to earn forgiveness. Let me say that again. We do not obey God in order to earn forgiveness. Rather, grace and mercy are to motivate our obedience because when we truly understand God's amazing grace, we do not go out and merely sin less. We go out and seek to sin no more. I added one thing that I'd love for you to write down, and it's this. Grace and mercy came before the action steps because our action steps must be motivated by that grace and mercy. All we want is action steps. How do I get out of Fear. How do I get out of this hurt? How do I fix this betrayal that happened to me? How do I get out of my sin? You have to understand this. Before there's any action steps, your heart has to experience the true grace and mercy that comes from the Lord. And how you experience that, because some of you would say, Daniel, how do I receive God's grace? Not just a religious thing. I'm not talking about talking to a pastor. So I'm talking about how do I really experience God's grace and mercy? You repent. I mean, let me tell you something. That ain't popular in our world. What I just said is not popular. It is not culturally relevant. It is not. There ain't no sweatshirt you can make to make that popular. And I love our sweatshirts. When you truly repent of your sin, you receive grace and mercy. And your life is radically transformed because God renews you, restores you, and you come out of darkness. Some of you are sitting there saying, Daniel, it's for somebody, but it's not for me. That's a lie from the devil. Can anybody testify? That's a lie from the devil. I don't know who it is tonight, but when you repent, there is freedom, there is grace, and that is how you get out of darkness because religion says, do all this and you'll get mercy. Relationship says it's because of God's mercy that you obey. That's what it says. So <clears throat> for just a moment, I have two subpoints for this very briefly. And the A is this, Jesus outshines your shame, hurt, and loneliness. Let's look at the woman first. So she's caught in this 
shame, this hurt, this sin, this loneliness. She's being ridiculed in front of a whole lot of people, religious leaders. A lot of people in here have had bad experiences with churches and with religious leaders. I get that. I've been there myself. Well, she's experiencing it right now. She's in the middle of shame, hurt, and loneliness. And yet, it's Jesus, the light of the world, who overcomes her shame and her hurt and her loneliness. Now, notice, Jesus did not tell her, go and sin no more and be mad at religious people and the church forever. But let's be honest, that's how a lot of us respond. That's how I responded when I was in the ninth grade. Somebody who was religious did me wrong, embarrassed me. So I said, you know what? I don't care about the church. I don't care about religion. I don't care about Jesus. I don't want none of it. So I walked away from it. For seven years, I hated the church. I hated Christianity. The only reason I came to Bellevue was to soak up leadership advice. I came to this place on Sunday mornings. My goal was to learn how to go be a good basketball coach and leave Jesus on the table. And I did it for a year. I put up a hard fight. And after a year, the Holy Spirit warmed me down and told me there's no such thing as leading or impacting people if you don't have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. And I broke down and I gave my life to Jesus. And it's been a radical change ever since. What is it for you? What's that pain? What's that hurt? What's that anguish you feel? Who did you wrong? Who hurt you? What sin can you not get out of? Is it pornography? You don't hear that at a lot of kickoffs. That's the last thing a lot of people are going to mention. But there's a lot of us in this room that are secretly living in that darkness of sin and it's eating us alive, both men and women. It's not a gender-only struggle. Not statistically. Was there an experience that you had with religion? With religious people. In fact, I sat down with a loved one not too long ago, and she told me, she said, look, the people that were rudest to me in college were the people that all went to passion. Now, I'm not down in passion. I'm not down in anybody that goes to passion. But I'm so sick and tired of hearing testimonies that it's the believers who are hurting people. A loved one told me this, that it's the believers who hurt them. So is it a believer who hurts you? And that's why you got a bad taste in your mouth for religion and Jesus and Christianity. And you're like, hey, I don't want God's word. It's not truth. not going to live by it. I don't want to hear some old man preach about it, which please don't call me old. I'm not there yet. But what is it for you? What's that darkness? Because I got to tell you, the church, every believer you come in contact with is a broken sinner in need of Jesus Christ. Ain't a single one of them died on the cross for your sins, but Jesus did. So you're going to put your faith in them anyways? I realize that 22 years old, I can't put my faith in their religion. I can't put my faith in religious leaders. If my faith is in them, I'm going to fail. But if my faith is in Jesus Christ, then I can succeed, and I can love God's word, and I can pray, and I can grow in my faith, and I can love people, and I can go be the difference for somebody else by the power of the Holy Spirit. What is it for you? I don't know What that shame, hurt, and loneliness is for you. We could spend all night trying to guess it, but I do know this. The light of Jesus overcomes it all. You fill in the blank. You fill in the blank. You take your notes, and you write down what it is. You name it. I can't guess, but you know exactly what it is that the Lord's bringing on your heart. And I believe God led you here tonight so that you could hear something real from God's word and be restored and to be like new. Because it is never too late for you. If God can do it in my life, he can certainly do it in your life. You talk to my high school teachers, a failure, an embarrassment, slept through classes, going nowhere. And the Lord changed the trajectory of my life 
And he can do the same thing with you. I've got to keep going. But I do know this. There's somebody in here who is coming out of that darkness. Ephesians 5, verses 6 to 14 says this. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments. Oh, how our world loves to do this. For God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of light for the fruit of the light that consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Testing what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible, for what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it said, get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead. And Christ will shine on you. This woman has more shame and embarrassment and hurt and loneliness than we can imagine in this moment. And Jesus' light overcame that. But she's not the only people in this story. The scribes and the Pharisees have elevated themselves to a position that they don't belong. That's why I put this B. Jesus outshines your pride, ego, and selfishness. <clears throat> We're going to get a little bit more into it before we get out of this. Some of you saw this and you're like, ah, shoot. <laughs> this is not a kickoff sermon. I think it's a great kickoff sermon. Jesus outshines your pride, ego, and selfishness. Can you imagine the arrogance to drag a woman to Jesus and pretty much ask him to stone her? What they've done is they've elevated themselves above Jesus to the point where they dictate what happens in this situation. They believe that they are intellectual enough to trap Jesus and stone this woman. And I want to tell you, I'm not going to spend too long on this, but wherever you are with pride and your ego and your selfishness, I got to tell you, the light of Christ will overcome that one way or another. There have been many times in my life where I have been broken over my pride. And I am restored and renewed every single time. And he'll do the same for you. This is a quote that I wrote down. Pride often comes from a lack of awareness to our own sin, but a hyper-awareness of others' sin. All Jesus does is ask them and raises their awareness to their own sin instead of somebody else's, which is why pride comes from a lack of awareness to our own sin and a hyper-awareness of others' sin. <coughs> but not only that, as we continue through this, number two, I know that you're still writing, I'll slow down just a little bit. Number two says this, the light provides life to those who follow him. The light provides life to those who follow him. And you can listen to the text again with me. Let's progress forward. Jesus spoke to them, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, I want you to understand, we often miss that Jesus says, for those who follow me. Savannah, that there is a condition to not walking in darkness. That there is an active thing. I want you to understand, follow me is an active thing. It's not a passive thing. It's active, that when we are actively following Jesus. In fact, 1 Peter 2 says this, starting in verse 21. This one will be on the screen as well. For you were called to this. Listen closely, if you will. For you were called to this, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example, that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. Many of us struggle with that. Many of us, whenever we get attacked or insulted, we put our guard up and we insult right back. Jesus didn't. He did not return insult for insult. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. 
He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. I was thinking about Instagram the other day. Instagram is so funny, is it not? We, we live in an era where we post photos online for people to double click and like. And it, it has gotten to the point with Generation Z and millennials where we, we have, and it's very fascinating when you do studies on it. I did a series last April. I encourage you to check it out on our website. We live multiple lives. We have like this life, real life, where we're kind of walking around and we're interacting with people and we have work and we have class and all this kind of thing. And, and we're known one way in our classroom. But now we have an entire separate life on social media where we portray ourselves and we receive feedback as to how people respond to us. I think Instagram is, is hilarious. Every time I get on Instagram, I feel like I should work out more. <laughs> Everybody's so in shape. Everybody's so toned and tan, and I just ate my second Gibson's donut of the night. And <laughs> it's easy to compare yourself and get insecure, is it not? You ever been there? I was thinking about Instagram. This is one thing I thought about. There are so many ghost followers on Instagram. Have you ever realized that? And some of us are ghost followers. In fact, if you have an account, Peyton, of 2,000 followers, or just say 1,000, and you look at some of your photos, you'll get 200 likes on each photo, which means roughly that when you look at the followers compared to the likes, about 80% of the people who claim to follow you never interact with you. Yeah, you see where I'm going with this. That 80% of a lot of our followers on Instagram are ghost followers. They never engage. They never like, comment, or do anything along those lines that a follower is supposed to. It's incredible. Ghost followers. This is one of the things I wrote down. That's how a lot of Christians operate with their faith. There's a lot of Christians that operate like ghost followers. Hear me for a minute. We have the title of follower of Christ, and we're listed as a follower, but we don't engage with Jesus the way a follower is supposed to. We're following from afar. See, when you follow somebody's Instagram account, you never engage, you never talk to them in real life, you're following them from a distance. That's not personal at all. Let me tell you something. Jesus does not want you to follow him from a distance. Are you trying to? Because there's a lot in this room that are trying to follow Jesus from afar that just want to keep up enough to still keep the title of Christian but not engage in any way that's meaningful. I got to tell you, Jesus loves you so much. Jesus loves you so deeply. He wants to engage with you every single day. There are so many people on Instagram who are happy with you just following them. You know why? It makes that number higher. They don't really care if you ever engage with them or spend time with them in real life. I'm not dogging anybody. I'm just saying there's a lot of people who are just trying to get a follower count for the sake of a number. And yet we have Jesus, the light of the world, the creator of the universe. All things were made through him. And he is so intentional. He is so kind. He is so compassionate that he wants a personal relationship with every single one of his followers where they engage in dialogue every single day. That's incredible. That's the love that Jesus has from you. In fact, he doesn't want you to follow from afar because he wants to know you and he wants you to know him. <laughs> he don't want you to be a ghost follower. And so when it says follows me, understand this. That does not mean that you just have a verse that you know and you put on social media. That doesn't just mean that you know about Jesus. It means that you are engaged with Jesus every single day active. Jesus says it in Luke 10, verse 27. He answered, love the Lord your God. He quotes the Old Testament, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus wants to walk with you hand in hand. But a lot of us in here are scared to get close to Jesus because when you get close, there's risk involved. There's real risk. 
Have you ever been close to somebody in your life and they hurt you? When you get close to somebody, there's risk involved. And when you get close to Jesus, there's risk involved. I've heard college students ask me questions like, what if God turns out not to be real? What if this faith takes me down a path I don't really wanna go? What if Jesus doesn't have my best interests at heart or the risk that comes from the world? What if I'm ridiculed? What if I'm rejected? What if I'm not loved? What if I'm not accepted? What if I lose a scholarship? Or what if I lose a job opportunity? And I wanna tell you something. What's greater, losing a job opportunity on this earth or losing your spot in heaven? (laughs) Which do you want? Because I would rather be known by Jesus and have my spot secured in heaven, knowing I can never lose my salvation when I give my life to him, when I repent, knowing that what the Father has in his hand, no one can snatch out, knowing that my salvation is secure, then give up following Jesus trying to get a job opportunity in this world. But let's be real. Some of us have elevated our careers far over Jesus Christ himself. Your career stays on this earth, but you don't. So who do you want to live for when it's all said and done? If you want to live a life that matters, follow Jesus Christ. Follow him when it's hard. Follow him when it's easy. And I promise you, he will always be faithful to you. When nobody else is there for you, Jesus Christ will be there for you. There's been many nights where I was alone. In literal darkness, not just spiritual darkness, but like literal darkness. And Jesus Christ never left my side. His word was always there. I have never come to his word and walked away without something. His word does not return void. And some of you feel like, Daniel, I ain't followed Jesus in a while. I don't really know how to get back right. I don't really know how to get back right, Daniel. Here's how you do it. You just turn to him. He never says, get back right and then follow me. He says, come to me and I will help you get back right. He provides life to those who follow him. But not only that, number three, the light outshines the darkness. The light outshines the darkness. I love to bring the Bible to life. And this past week, as I worked on this sermon, I put myself in this woman's shoes. And I want to invite you to put yourself in her shoes for a moment. Imagine how you would feel. Let's take away all the distractions. Let's take away what this week has for us. Take away your homework for a minute. Take away everything else. How would you feel if you were this woman? Because I couldn't imagine how alone I would feel standing in the middle of the street with my sins displayed for all to see. And I remember the first time I stepped into the view six years ago, I felt alone. Not for very long. But for a moment, I walked into the view, like many of you did tonight, and I felt like the woman caught in adultery. I felt like I was the only one in the room with sin. Have you ever felt that way? I don't know who the Lord's speaking to right now, but I know he's speaking to somebody. I felt like I was looking at a whole bunch of perfect people who had their lives figured out, and here I am. My life's a mess. And then the view leaders rushed to me, as they did, like uh, for for any first-time guest. They rushed to me. They welcomed me in. They loved me. And I realized I wasn't alone, and the rest is history. Six years later, I pastored the ministry. That's how I got here. 
But I remember standing there feeling so alone. There's people in this room who feel alone right now. Some of you are sitting in the middle of your struggle and your darkness, and you feel absolutely alone. In fact, if you're honest, you can relate to this woman because you know the feeling. I wrote this down. That's one of the things that anxiety, depression, and fear is good at. One of the things darkness is good at is convincing you you're all alone. Because you look around and you don't see anybody else. But you're not alone. Imagine this woman in the street hearing Jesus for a moment to tell them to stone her. Think about this. He hears her say, stone her. And then for a moment it's terrifying and then she realizes fully what he has just said. The one without sin. Kick us off. Go ahead, start. Can you imagine in that moment how terrifying that would be sitting there like, are they going to stone me? Bring this to life. This happened. Wondering if somebody's going to throw a stone at her. And then the next thing she heard would have been the stones. But not them hitting her. Them dropping and hitting the ground. You imagine that moment. You're in the middle of the street. All these stones around you. And they drop and they hit the ground. And then she looks up and she watches as each one of these men walk away one by one. I remember being 21 years old and realizing at the view for the first time that I was not alone. My prayer for you for the last two months leading up to this kickoff, Christian or non-Christian, I have prayed tonight that the Holy Spirit would touch your heart and help you see that you are not alone either. But it doesn't stop there. I imagine the woman getting chills when Jesus speaks to her. I would have had them. I don't know if she did, but I would have had chills because Jesus asked her a question he already knows the answer to. Where are they? Has no one stoned you? And in this moment, she says to him, she says, no, Lord. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Can you imagine hearing those words from the Messiah? Can you imagine being that seen, that known, and that loved to the point where you're face to face with Jesus Christ, the one who could actually stone you, and he doesn't. He shows you grace, and he shows you mercy. How freeing that must have been, the literal weight coming off of her shoulders, the literal weight coming off of her body, because not only did she realize that she wasn't alone in her sin, but she realized that she wasn't alone because she also had a Savior. So I don't just want to raise awareness for you that everybody has sin. I want to raise awareness that there's a Savior who died for your sin and then rose from the grave three days later, that you are not alone. There is salvation. There is life. There is hope. And it's found in Jesus Christ. So do you know what Jesus has done for you? Do you know the sacrifice he has made for you? If you're not a believer tonight, I ask you, how long? How long do you feel like living in darkness? Are you ready to come to Jesus as the light of the world and find the one who knows you best? Because you can do that tonight. For those of you who are believers, hear me. Are you tired of areas of your life still being devoted to the dark? Fear, worry, stress, shame, identity. Are you tired because Jesus says, come to me? My burden is light and easy. 
So wherever you are tonight, come to Jesus.